All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am speaking to you from New York City on this, the 26th day of November 2019. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to thank you for sending your comments, uh, whatever they may be, along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And, of course, we do want to thank our sponsors because uh, they make this show uh, possible. Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Great Bear Resources, Gatling Exploration, and TriStar Gold Resources are our sponsors for today's show. I've titled today's show, Are You Underinvested in Gold? Wall Street and the Keynesian economists who dominate American groupthink have applied anti-gold propaganda ever since Lord Keynes called the yellow metal a barbaric relic. That has been a ploy to enable wealth and power to be transferred to the elite and away from the middle class as fiat money based not on assets like gold or silver, but rather debt has been used to enslave the masses of the world. For average folks to survive, they need to hold assets that hold their value, while unlike the dollar and other fiat currencies, uh, which rapidly lose their purchasing power. Gold is king when it comes to retention of purchasing power, and in bull markets, gold shares are the king of kings within this earthly realm. But in fact, as Frank Holmes will tell us in the second half of this today's show, most investors are very much underinvested in gold. In fact, it pays over the longer term to trade what amounts to actual counterfeit dollars for actual true money, gold. Recently, we were told uh, by David McElvenny on this show that if you had purchased gold bullion some 20 years ago, that investment would have outperformed Warren Buffett's portfolio by a landslide. And as Frank Holmes, my guest on the second hour of today's show, will tell us, an investment in Franco Nevada shares have done even better than buying gold and holding gold bullion over that same time frame. So Frank Holmes will be with us during the second half of today's show to talk about gold shares and in particular, which kind of gold shares to buy and which you may want to be more careful about investing in. Chris Taylor of Great Bear was scheduled to be with us but because of an illness in his family, he is unable to be with us today. We do have Chris scheduled to come on the show on December 10th when Harry Dent joins us for the first time. Chris will update us on Great Bear Then, which remains one of the most fascinating gold discoveries I have, discu- I have covered in my newsletter over many years of writing it. 
Although Chris couldn't be with us today, we are fortunate to have Gwen Preston join us after our first commercial break. Gwen is a rising star within the gold mining newsletter writers fraternity. I expect expect that uh, Gwen will have some very valuable insights regarding how to invest in junior mining shares uh, that you won't want to miss. So um, you you don't want to miss what she has to say after the first commercial break. Michael Oliver, who is now joining us every other week, wrote this weekend to his subscribers that we need to rise, that gold needs to rise above 1485 by the end of this week to break above his momentum downtrend channel from gold's peak at 1560. That was in late August. As noted previously, uh, Michael's work shows in order for gold to remain bullish, a, a gold bullish structure for gold to remain in, we need to see gold hold above $1,415 by the end of this month and above $1,423 by the end of December. Gold was trading comfortably above that, in fact, uh, around 1461 when I last looked at around 2.30 this afternoon. Regarding Michael Oliver's work, last week on Tuesday, he made me aware that he had done some technical work on Novo Resources. He said last Tuesday that if Novo can finish the week, last week, above $2.26 in U.S. money, it would have broken through momentum or resistance and would be on its way to higher prices. Sure enough, gold did close above $2.26 U.S. last week. And as I was preparing for the show at around 2.30 this afternoon, it was trading at $2.66, a healthy one-week rise for sure. Also, Novo announced today that it will now be testing its breakthrough separation technologies on both its Edgina and Beaton's Creek projects in Western Australia. Novo is one of several very exciting exploration stories that I cover in my newsletter, and I include, include all of those exciting stories, uh, those of the sponsors of this show, which are also all covered in my newsletter. By the way, if you would like to keep up with the news for the sponsors on this show, as well as the, all the companies that I cover in my newsletter, you can go. You can do so by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, where every day we update our uh, our viewers and our subscribers on the companies, important company news that occurs uh, every day. So every day we update that, and also uh, what we consider to be some very important economic and political news stories as well. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because when we come back, Gwen Preston will be with me right after our commercial break, so don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Gatling Exploration is aggressively expanding its 100% owned Larder Gold Project with three high-grade gold deposits located along the prolific Kirkland Larder Break in Ontario, Canada. 35,000 meters of drilling is underway and to date has now connected two of the three gold deposits and is aiming at connecting the third to create a 4.5 kilometer trend. 
Gatling trades under GTR on the TSX Venture and GATGF on the OTCQX. Visit www.gatlingexploration.com to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Gwen Preston with us once again. Gwen has uh, had years of experience in the mineral resource business as a journalist for the Northern Miner and working along with Marin Katusa at KC Research. She now writes her own newsletter, Resource Maven, which she started at the very bottom of the resource market. It's a good choice, I must say. Uh, As a participant in the Metals Investor Forum, where Gwen stars, she has been bringing some very exciting companies to the attention of investors, including yours truly. One of the best examples is Great Bear Resources, which Gwen brought to the, I believe it was the January 2018 Metals Investor Forum. And after hearing that story, and when I returned back to New York, I immediately told my subscribers about it on January 26th, 2018, when it was selling at a mere U.S. 46 cents. Well, Gwen is as sharp as a tack technically and commercially, and she helps people make money. So that's why we like to have her on the show. We're very happy to have her with us today. Before I say hello to Gwen, I'd like to suggest that you go to resourcemaven.ca, resourcemaven.ca. It's a very attractive website, and it tells you a lot about Gwen, and I think uh, you're going to want to hear what she has to say now. Thanks for joining me, Gwen. Thank you so much for having me and for all of those kind things you just said. Well, there are kind things which are true. I'm uh, I'm not one to uh, um, to pass alone. I'm not a propagandist. Let's put it that way. I'm a, I I consider <laughs> myself to be a truth a truth teller, and sometimes I say things that are not in my best interest uh, for telling the truth. But uh, I think uh, I really have observed your um, you know your 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 work at the resor- at the um, Metals Investor Forum, and I've been very impressed. And I think uh, uh, you do your subscribers uh, very well. I'm quite sure of that. Um, when, you know, I would like to, um, I'd like to ask you about Great Bear. Uh, Chris Taylor was going to be with us today and due to an illness in the, uh, in the family, he was not able to. So I'm really pleased that you could, uh, fill in this space for us today. But, um, talk to us a little bit about Great Bear. I mean, it's had quite a run, uh, you know, and, and, and I know so often when I've been fortunate enough to own stocks that have quite a run, I've held on too long. And I keep asking myself, is it time to get out of this thing? I mean, up tenfold, what, what should I do? Um, what are you telling your subscribers now about Great Bear? It's, such a, it's been such an interesting progression, actually, um, because, so yes, we got in very early, got in at sort of 30 cents Canadian um, mm-hmm. in late 2017, uh, and the stock has since then run as high as over $9 Canadian. Yeah. I mean, an incredible return. And certainly it was about halfway through that run that I said to subscribers, look, when, when the returns get to this level, 
I'm not an investment advisor. I'm, I'm not here. I'm, I'm certainly not a wealth management advisor. Mm-hmm. It's up to you if you need this money, if you want to rotate this money into other opportunities. At the end of the day, it becomes about relative appreciation potential, right? So if you have a stock that's already a whatever, 10-bagger or 30-bagger, yeah. whatever it might be, um, what are its odds of multiples from here? That's mm-hmm. the question, right? Because if you were yeah. to sell... What are you going to do with that money? If you're going to reinvest it into the junior mining markets, obviously that opens up the whole question of where do you think the markets are? Where are they going? What opportunities are, what opportunities are you putting that money into? But if, you can, if you're bullish on the outlook and you see opportunities where you, you know, a double, a triple is likely, well, mm-hmm. that's pretty appealing. The unusual thing about Great Bear is that I still think this stock is going to do pretty well and, and in the next near term. So mm-hmm. often with mining stocks, right, you get this really exciting discovery phase and the price spikes, and then you get into sort of the boring resource delineation phase right. that merges into the mine planning phase and the share price gets slides and slides and people stop caring mm-hmm. and then that's where we all lose our money, right? With Great Bear, it's all happening... Um, at a pace that's really unusual. So the fact that Chris Taylor and his um, partner in crime there, Bob Singh, have understood the, this LP fault structure, which is this 18-kilometer-long, very deep-seated geological structure, they recognized something that nobody had recognized before, that this thing had the potential to be gold-bearing. They're now stepping along this thing, like with hundreds, of, with step-outs that are hundreds of meters along it and they keep hitting gold. They keep hitting gold. It's unreal the scale that this thing is starting to show. So what does that mean? First of all, it means that we haven't even got to a resource estimate yet. Um, This discovery story is almost two years old at this point, but we don't even have a resource yet because the potential just keeps increasing before they can, like faster than they can even wrap a number around it. So that's unusual in itself. Um, and second, and, and because the scale is starting to really demonstrate, um, the majors are circling. There are so many people who are interested in this, so many people, so many mining companies who are interested in this asset. Um, they have a countless number of CA signs. They have every company that you can think of looking in their data room. Um, and so Chris and Bob are actually, the Great Bear team is actually faced with a challenge of um, delineating as many ounces as they possibly can as quickly as they can before a major comes in and gives them an offer that they'll have to consider because their whole point is to deliver returns to their shareholders. So anyways, what do, we, what do you do with the stock right now? It's been, I can understand that people are wondering because it has come off from $9 to $6. I'm speaking of the Canadian share price, but obviously right, the, the ratios, course. the percentage changes are about the same, are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I get that people are a little concerned. Um, but the big thing that happened is that initially the Great Bear story was about these two very high grade zones. Those were classic kinds of mineralization for the area that they're in, Red Lake, Ontario. Those were called the limb zone and the hinge zone. Very, very high grade gold, but discrete sort of small bodies. Then they stepped into this big LP fault thing and the story changed for the better, but it's Mm -hmm. taking the market a little while to understand that this very significant change is indeed really for the better. So that's what the gold price correct or the 
share price correction has been about, has been about the market understanding the new version of the Great Bear story. I think that they're starting to do that. And I think what Great Bear is actually going to do is deliver a resource estimate, an initial resource estimate on this LP fault sooner than everyone expects to help the market understand just how big this thing is. Um, and I think that will help. I think that will happen in the month's time frame, a few months. And I think it'll surprise oh, okay. the market. And I think um, th- that will kick off also a realization that for sure someone's going to come and buy this thing. So I think that right now the buying opportunity for Great Bear, um, is it going to multiply five times from here? You know, that would be a big ask. <laughs> but does it have the potential to still double from here? I think it yeah. does. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So that's mm-hmm. my uh, long answer All right. to well, your question. Well, cer- well certainly. <laughs> and thank you. Very, a very informed answer and, and a lot of goodies in there uh, for people to ponder for sure. Uh, I mean, yes, to get another 10-bagger out of this would be unthinkable. So that means, uh, Gwen, if you if you have some more 10-baggers for us, we want to hear about it. I want to ask you about that in just a minute. But before we get to your next 10-bagger, well, no pressure, of mm. course, but before we get to your next 10-bagger, you have some, some good insights with respect to what kinds of stocks you might consider buying based on seasonality. What are your thoughts mm. right now? You know, we're in the tax loss selling time of the year. There's, it's, it's, gold hasn't gone anywhere. What are, what are your thoughts right now about what kind of stocks people might be focused on most? What they might do well to start, you know, focusing their purchasing on at this time of the year? Absolutely. It's a great question. So I think, first of all, the important thing to try and hold on to is to not sell right now. It's very easy to want to sell in November because prices yep. are sliding, tax loss selling, the gold price always does poorly in October, people get anxious, but that's selling at a low and the gold price and stocks always do well in January and February. So if you can hold on for another two, two and a half months, you're mm-hmm. much, your odds of um, selling at a better price are really high. So first of all, try not to lose hope and sell things now because it's, almost the worst time of the year that you could possibly sell um, is right now. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's two approaches to seasonality. One is to simply play the trend, the pattern, and the other is to use the depressed share prices of the moment as an opportunity to position in stocks that you like. So on the first front, seasonality, um, we get lows now, then the gold price, like I say, goes for a run in January and February. When the gold price goes for a run, the stocks that benefit the most are those that offer the best leverage to the price of gold. And so those are producers, especially those with low costs, and those are um, developers with large resources. So literally just a lot of ounces in the ground that can lever this gold price game. So if you want to play the pattern, you can buy producers and uh, companies with large resources, sort of optionality plays, if you want to call them that, now with a plan to sell them in mid-February. And you're, all, you're very likely to bank 20 30%, maybe more. It depends how strongly the gold price goes. But you're very likely to bank some nice returns just by owning those stocks for two, two and a half months during this seasonal uptick. So that's mm-hmm. the one kind of opportunity, just playing leverage. Mm-hmm. The other kind of opportunity is just prices are low right now because of what you mentioned, tax loss selling and, you know, the depressed, the gold price always sliding in October. So use these low prices as an opportunity to enter stocks that you particularly like. What do I really like these days? I like 
uh, a couple different categories of companies. I like pre-discovery companies that are really cheap, but that have that check all the boxes, right? That have really mm-hmm. good management, that have a good share structure, that have a project that I think is well-defined and has a clear drill program and that are going to be drilling soon. So Precipitate Gold is one that I would um, mention specifically in that category. Mm-hmm. They just raised money. They have a project in the Dominican Republic that I think looks really, really interesting. So uh, they're a pre-discovery inexpensive stock that has near ter- the potential for near-term excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, another kind of stock that I like are companies with um, advancing assets that mm-hmm. are marching along that process, but also have the potential to generate some you know, sort, of, sort of splashy results. Integra Gold is a very good example of that. So the Delamar project is marching in Idaho, is marching along the, the progression, right? Like they bought it, they grew the resource, now they've put out a, a preliminary economic assessment, an initial sort of mine plan idea document, but they're going to continue growing the resource, they're going to hone that mine plan, and they're continuing to explore, and they have some really good exploration targets right in the vicinity there that have the potential to churn out some splashy numbers. So I kind of like that, too, because as the gold price moves, the generalists who are, who are starting to see move into this space, they don't like the super high risk. They don't like that precipitate gold because they mm-hmm. don't know enough about the space to buy the pre-discovery explorer but they do know enough about the space to buy a company with defined ounces and a mine plan that's advancing. And, oh, my gosh, are they also spitting out some high-grade results? Well, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd say those are the two categories. The sort of I call them the strong but splashy projects and then mm-hmm. the pre-discovery explorers who are, who are cheap but that, have, that check all the boxes from management to share structure to a really strong project. Yeah, and the precipitate gold, um, they're – they moved. They were. I think they're starting to explore a different area in the Dominican Republic. I think it's right next to a very, very large, uh, very large mine. Right. It's right next door to that's, one that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly true. So, Precipitate for years had a project in one part of the Dominican Republic, and that was that was a good project. It didn't really uh, work out exactly the way. It didn't work out perfectly. In this downturn in the market, they were able mm-hmm. to pick up a second project that they're calling um, Pueblo Grande, and it's mm-hmm. right next door to Pueblo Viejo, which is, depending on how you calculate it, something like the third largest gold mine in the world. And, but this isn't just an idea of like Pueblo Viejo's gold comes across the, bo- the, the property line. This is an idea that because of a new geologic approach to the area, kind of like what Great Bear did in Red mm-hmm. Lake, a new geologic approach. Precipitate's taking a new geologic approach to this area, and the idea is maybe they also have a Pueblo Viejo, like right beside. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's part of a cluster. Maybe there's another one right here. So um, they've yep. done a lot of work delineating targets, really clear targets, and they just raised money, and so they're, they're mm-hmm. ready to start drilling um, as soon as the new year gets underway. Right, selling at around 13 cents earlier today, I think, when I looked it up, and... Uh... That's uh, one more, Gwen. With uh, just a couple of minutes left, you mentioned to me uh, Sitka Gold, a name that I just mm-hmm. added to my letter. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah, Sitka is a cool story. Um, Sitka is a when I talk about checking the boxes, you always want 
good management and a tight share structure and uh, several ways to succeed. And Sitka offers those for sure. So it's a, uh, a company that's been around a little while, but then has been very quietly accumulating a portfolio of projects during this downturn. So they have an incredibly tight share structure. They only have 23 million yeah. shares out, I think is yeah. the number. So really small. Um, and they have a couple different projects. They have this project in Arizona called Burrow Creek, a couple of different companies have gone down there. They've drilled the one part of the vein that sort of sticks up out of the hillside, and it's got a mm-hmm. nice historic mm-hmm. resource in it, some high grade with some low grade around it. But nobody ever looked for sort of the continuation of where the vein goes underneath an, a younger rock that covers it. And it turns out that a kilometer away, the same vein sticks out from underneath that younger rock mm-hmm. and looks mm-hmm. exactly the same. And the geophysics suggests that it continues underneath. So it's one of these not really a pre-discovery story that we know that there's gold there but nobody's tested this kilometer of strike extent so it looks like a reasonably low risk exploration yeah point. i'm laughing yeah, because you shouldn't usually put low risk and exploration in the same sentence well but i think so uh, in this case yes as, as an exploration risk at selling at 15 cents and as you say so few shares also they do have a, a higher risk uh, roll of the dice too, a Carland style mineralization that they're also planning to um, uh, to uh, to test. I think this year yet or next year probably. Absolutely, yeah. That's the Alpha project. That's in Nevada. It's an interesting Carland target. So yeah, that's another um, higher risk. But if it works, that's fantastic. And to be honest, that's also not the end of their portfolio. They have an interesting project in the Yukon that they're um, advancing in a different way. They're sort of looking at uh, increasing land position and and. It was sort of a bigger picture play there, but that's value in the portfolio that's just sitting there. Um, so yeah, it's a, and it's a, a small group. They very controlled costs, and they just mm-hmm. yeah. I, I feel like they're right. just going to get out there and get it done. So yeah, I think All that's right. another yeah. Fun another good shot. To, another uh, good shot. Yeah, we're, we're mm-hmm. out of time, Gwen. Yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom with our listeners, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. All right, folks, well, we do have to go now. That's all the time we have for this uh, segment, but Frank Holmes will be with us right after the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Holmes. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie Project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete their very active 90,000-meter drill program through next year. Considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years, GBR aims to release a maiden resource in early 2020. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. TriStar Gold is a gold exploration and development company listed on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TSG and on the OTCQB under the symbol TSGZF. The large and growing gold resource at Castelo de Sanos Project is located in mining-friendly Pata State, Brazil. A recent $8 million investment from major mining company Royal Gold will advance the CDS project towards a feasibility study in 2020. TriStar Gold enjoys strong institutional shareholder support from groups like Gold 2000, RBC, Sun Valley, and U.S. Global. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Frank Holmes. Frank is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of U.S. Global Funds, specializes in natural resources and emerging markets investing, and as Chief Investment Officer of the U.S. Global Group, uh, Frank oversees the, an investment team whose mutual funds um, and ETFs have done very, very well in the last number of years. And uh, so, Frank, it's really good to have you with me again. It's good to be with you, Jay. Yeah, Um Frank, in particular, uh, I want to ask you about an article that you wrote recently, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or so, titled, You're Probably Underinvested in Gold. Why do you say that? Well, you know, it's interesting. It really is evident when you go to Canada, which is where most of these gold money companies function and, and domiciled, and uh, the pension funds institutions, they should be 6% weighted in gold stocks, is 6% of the index there. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they might have 1%. So you have a lot of asset allocators in the big banks, and the banks control mostly in their retail uh, investment decisions, and they're way underweighted. Mm-hmm. So if you're using one of the, those um, uh, robo-allocators, et cetera, um, you're, you're extremely underweighted. An asset class that was just done phenomenally well this past year, mm-hmm. and in fact, uh, you know, for the if you've been long the royalty companies in particular, which you've always been talking about, mm-hmm. and myself, you know, you've done exceptionally well in the past one, three, five, and ten years. So you're saying that Canadians are under under uh, underexposed? Very much so. So that means even in the U.S., it's even more even so. Even worse so. Only one percent. Yeah. yeah. Only one percent of the S and P 500 is gold related, uh-huh. and uh, so if 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 you're talking about the average portfolio of theirs, might be one tenth of that. Mm-hmm. So you were only talking about basis points, and and so what I was trying to figure out, you you have to have, you have to have a three year sequence that all of a sudden it starts to show up by pension funds and institutions. Uh, the thirty six month of outer performance of gold stocks will all of a sudden have oh we have to take a look at that. Why does it take that long, Frank? You know I don't know, but it's a good question because I asked it regarding an old model of Sir John Templeton. And uh-huh. that he would fire you as a portfolio manager if you were in the bottom 25% after 36 months. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. you had to always be, you know, you could have a bad year, you could have a bad quarter, but uh, it, it just couldn't afford uh, three years. <laughs> that's 36 I, months. I guess not. So uh-huh. so that's sort of the, the model. So what happens is the psychology. It, it's like um, being contrary investing. Um, that you know, buy gold when it's uh, oversold. No, that that, that uh, people predominantly come in and buy once above the 50 day, and when the 50 days above the 200 day, then pension fund big blocks of money feel more safe to go and invest. Mm-hmm. And so there's just tremendous opportunities for the nimble investor like yourself or ourselves mm-hmm. in that in that space. Yeah, yeah. So I think you said six percent is what there should be um, should be allocated to gold. How do you? If I heard you correctly, how do you come to that number? 
Well, you should take the TSE index, which uh -huh. most of the, like the S&P, most people, pension funds, etc., are, are equally weighted whatever the S&P is. Uh -huh. um, and so they're, they're dramatically underweight in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, so, and, and gold's done exceptionally well. Yeah. And the more astute guys uh, have not bought for, I think, the cheapest buy players now. And we have this big acquisition today uh, with Detour Lake, are the mid-tiers. Yes. So they, had, they had great results this past quarter. Um, and I think that you're going to see more in M&A work in particular there. Yeah, I have to ask you about that. Your thoughts. I, I know that your ETF, your gold AU, uh, your ETF, uh, gold share ETF, Owns Detour. Um, how are you? You must be feeling pretty good about that. Uh, after you know, today, I think you something. Know like you know what really surprised me because I kept questioning the model, but it it kicked out. Got um, uh, kind of a manana moment here. Um, it it kicked out uh, uh, Sprott's big investment there when he left and it bought uh, Detour. So yeah, it was like a, I, I, it's like a twenty four percent premium, um, I think, uh, for Detour, right? Correct. So you must be pretty happy about that today. I'm, ve I'm very happy. You know, that goes off today, and I just saw that we're only off a couple of basis points uh -huh. uh, because you know we have a, a good position in it, but we're not getting hurt, and uh, I think that's a big part of these downdrafts mm -hmm. that you're not owning the stocks that are really getting slammed today, right? Uh, and that's what the model does. Um, so I, I was uh, happy with what took place. Do you happen to own? Uh, do you happen to own Kirkland in, in your two uh, gold mutual funds, gold gold share um, mutual funds? You know, I we do. Over, I think over there they own Kirkland Lake, and that's just surprised me because Kirkland Lake had uh, attractive free cash flow yield still, and that's part mm -hmm. of one of my key factors. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what this does in this acquisition. And I've been reaching out to analysts. Is actually, it, it's going to not be attracted to the quants, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why. Uh, the biggest buyers of these gold stocks trading in and out, creating liquidity, are quant funds. Mm -hmm. And quant funds don't look at the metrics that the average uh, salesman or, or trader or research analyst uh, is saying. This is cheap on an NAV. This is cheap. They don't buy that. Uh -huh. They they buy. The per share change in key factors, such as when we combine those companies, will the revenue per share rise without any change in production? On, when the existing production, will that revenue per share rise and will the cash flow per share rise? And if it doesn't, they're not going to own the new entity. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at so, it from looking at it from a different perspective, though, I'd, from a longer term perspective, is it a good move for Kirkland or not? Well, I, I think if Eric Sprott was there, it probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, why is that? Because Eric made a fortune in a bear market in gold yeah. uh, by buying high-grade gold. All he bought was high-grade, high-grade. And he mm -hmm. noticed that all of his lumps and pain in the last downdraft was having all these low-grade operations. Right. And so, yes, they give you optionality on an upside, mm -hmm. but really the safest way you can, you can make money in a bear market in gold stocks mm -hmm. by staying focused on high-grade. Yeah, and that's what he did, yeah. and he made himself eight hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, obviously, Kirkland's uh, average grade uh, production overall is going to go down with this. I would, I would guess, because it's a pretty low grade situation compared to uh, what they have over there in Australia. Um, so you, you mentioned a moment ago that um, 
you know, the, the royalty companies, and of course, one of your favorites, if not your favorite one, uh, would be what? That's, um, that's uh, Franco Nevada. And I think uh, you had noted somewhere I saw in, in the, on your website, and I should mention to our listeners, it's usfunds.com. Go there for a lot of great content that Frank writes and he and his team. You put out an awful lot of material every week, Frank, and I thank you for that. It's, it's very, very worthwhile. I uh, just want my listeners to know that, that they should go there and read your very kind. Thank you. Your, your insights are, are, are very valuable. Uh, but I, I saw that you had uh, compared Franco Nevada's performance to Warren Buffett's quite a, quite a bit better, I guess, hasn't it been, over the last number of years? Unbelievable. You know, when it was public in Canada, I'm so lucky that I was got to meet these guys when I was a young man because I took a public. It was my first public uh, IPO. Uh-huh. I left research to become a corporate banker. And um, and during that 84 to the stretch of uh, 2000, when, before it merged with Newmont, it outperformed Berkshire then too, and then, and then when it got spun out again in 2008, you know, it's far outperformed Berkshire Hathaway, and it's outperformed the other gold stocks. Um, and and it's simple, you know, you have 30 employees that cost a million bucks a month, uh, all the GNA, mm-hmm. and they're going to you know do 600 million in revenue. So uh, mm-hmm. their gross margins are are quite quite high, and their net margins are unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I think the industry as a whole has a 17% margin, uh, gross profit margin, hmm. and uh, they're, they're 48%. Wow. Well, no wonder they get higher multiples then, don't they? I mean, they really, yep. it's, it sells. Um, you know, I'm looking at your ETF. You have a, a lot of really interesting things, some of which I'm familiar with. Um, North American Palladium is there. I see you must have done very well with that one over the last year or two. Well, it's been a big win, and you know, when I was at the Denver Gold Show, I came back and I said, uh, you know, my number one stock from that was 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 the, the company. Uh-huh. I said, oh, why would you say that? Because Brookfield owns it, and they want to sell. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, because that's not their expertise. They're not gold experts. They just turn the company around. Mm-hmm. And but if you if you looked at their free cash flow and their profit margin, unbelievable. I, you you've got to get a South African that's going to buy it, and that's what happened. You know, mm-hmm. one month later. Uh, in came the South Africans mm-hmm. uh, to buy it, mm-hmm. and so it was uh, a great pick. You know, my other the other one that's doing really well is is uh, uh, is I'm just trying to think of of these these stock, but it's not in that ETF. Mm-hmm. Is is the uh, Grand Columbia Gold Notes? Oh, okay. I don't know that my story. Yeah. Piece of the, I, I own five percent of my funds, my mutual funds, not in my ETF, and they pay monthly, mm-hmm. and they pay an eight and a quarter coupon. They're listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They pay every month, and every quarter they buy back six percent. They redeem six percent, hmm. and and anything above twelve fifty, they pay you more. So gold runs to sixteen hundred. Uh, they pay you thirteen percent. Wow! Because you get a bonus. Huh. And but where can you get a play on gold? This is like gold money for mm-hmm. me. It's just uh, and it's all collateralized against the gold operations. So that's one of those you know stocks that. Uh, those and their stock has been up five hundred percent in the past three years. What is so this? it's done? GCM. It's called G- GCM. GCM. That's the symbol. Yeah, that's Digital a symbol. Trades and in the U.S. I trade once again. Trades in Toronto uh-huh. um, and trades over the counter in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But it's high grade. It's uh-huh. very high grade. Oh. And um, and management has some issues that they had to resolve a couple of years back, and they have. Huh. And Eric just bought five um, percent of them. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. So, is, uh, so uh, 
Well, it's very interesting. There's a lot of things going on now in, in, in the resource, uh, in the gold sector, in the uh, gold and silver precious metal sector, no doubt about it. But, Frank, I'd like to ask you then, you you have uh, have always been known for, you, you, you love gold, but you've always been very balanced in your approach, and you've not been a, a nutty gold bug by any means. You've really sort of, I mean, your emerging European fund you have, the All-American Equity Fund, um, Global Resources, which is more to do with, uh, I guess, energy and, and materials, uh, the China Regional Fund. So you have, under your umbrella, a lot of different ways and different places that investors can keep balanced. And you have a policy of, of rebalancing, I believe, at the beginning of every year. Is that you still doing that? Yeah, I think the more active you are, you do it once a quarter. Otherwise, you, you do it once a year. Yeah. And uh, so what would you suggest now in terms, I mean, you have two mutual funds, two gold mutual funds, the gold precious metals funds and world precious metals funds. What What's the difference between those two? One is a larger cap, I guess, and one's a smaller, more exploration right. uh, orientation. And, and, and world, world historically has always outperformed, but for the past couple of years, it's been a real dud because it has all these juniors you and I love. Yeah. And they haven't and, and, kept you know, up. No, there, there's just no bid on them uh, unless they get taken over, uh, and that's just uh, the problem. We've got great value stocks, and Ralph Aldis, the director of research, uh, there was sees those funds. You know, he has two geology degrees, a master in economics, a CFA, <laughs> and 40 years of experience. He just came back from Ivanhoe Mines operations in the Congo. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's he's astute as a walking the ground at the same time right, doing financial models. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he, it's very frustrating because there's just no interest yeah. in that junior space. Mm-hmm. Do you think that'll change? No. You don't think it'll change? I think, no, I think you're going to have to have commodities a lot higher, Jay. Much, mm-hmm. much, much higher. And that's something, that, that's just my opinion now. I went mm-hmm. to Lima Institutional Conference and, and this thing, that, this operative word called ESG, Environment, social, sustainability, uh, governance, uh, corporate governance. It supersedes making money. It supersedes exploring. You you go into these company these countries now, and the local uh, poor education system. That's your responsibility if you want to explore in that area. The healthcare that could be there. So the ESG has become such a barrier that the gold fields are telling me in South Africa they spend forty million a year in it now. Wow. And when I went to the Denver Gold Show, all these companies had to present their ESG up front, uh, not their financials. Uh, and, and Ian Telford told me that this is what's happened, is that these companies are no longer gold mining companies. They're basically social welfare uh, corporations. Oh. Uh, and governments uh, have failed in Latin America and Africa. Yeah. They have basically failed in their in their duties to these communities. And so the, the socialist mindset for like, Europe, this all comes from Europe, yeah. is it's got to be... Uh, the companies, it's companies have to do it. The companies have to do it. Oh. And uh, and if you don't have a strong ESG in London, the head of the Socialist Party, if he gets into power, wants to have you delisted from the company. Delisted. Oh. That's horrible. So, yeah. And, and so what's happened in Europe is the word shareholders' rights have been replaced by stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And a stakeholder can have $1 or a million dollars. They're, e- they're treated equally. Treated equally. Yeah. And, and which is ridiculous. So therefore, um, making money and getting a return on capital to reinvest and do things mm-hmm. is not important. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I think we're going to have to have you know much higher gold prices, copper prices, to all of a sudden be able to pay for 
this big ESG burden. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't want to put money into a company. They're going to say, okay, you know, 40% is going to go to ESG problems because of a junior explorer. Well, Frank, uh, um, I mean, they're not all these countries alike, though. Are, are you saying just in general that's what's happening? I mean, uh, let's take, uh, for example, Bolivia, a place like that, has been known for its uh, for its hostility towards capitalism, towards companies that can in, come in there. Ecuador, to an extent, I guess, Colombia not as bad now as it once was. Uh, Peru, well, what about Peru? Is that going in that direction as well? Oh, yeah. See, what happened in Peru I mean, a couple of years ago when Lassalle was the president of Newmont, you know, they, the Jesuits' uh, priests there got everyone to boycott coming up to Anacocha. Well, why is that? Hmm. Well, in, in that country, the royalties paid on that from the lo- for the locals of that gold mine go to the federal system, to, the, to Lima. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes back to the community. Mm-hmm. So they, don't, they, they can't get any publicity by protesting going down to Lima. So they basically protest by getting cameras and telling people they stop the trucks from coming in. To what extent do you think this movement is going to hurt North America, Canada and the U.S., for example? I mean, we have a, pro, a pro-mining a pro administration in Washington now, but let's say Elizabeth Warren or somebody like that comes in. What, what, where well, does that leave the U.S.? Well, I think it's, it'll make it very, very difficult. I think that the burden, uh, and what it'll do is, is interesting for me is that it's going to drive commodity prices higher. Why? Because we have seven and a half billion people, mm-hmm. and they're all having sex, and they're all having babies. Mm-hmm. And so the population is going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And now with the internet and smartphones, etc., everyone's wired. Everyone wants the American dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that ambitious culture that's now a global phenomenon is not going to go away. So you're going to need commodities. You're so- just going to need them. So what you're saying, Frank, from an investment point of view, then you you have to be up market. You can't be with the little juniors, that uh, the ones that I focus on primarily. You're going to. Do, I mean, we have some winners for sure in that well, space. If you go, if you go juniors, you have to really be make sure that your money is going to go into exploration. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get stuck right. with all this. So some of the juniors. Um, that are in Peru mm-hmm. have social problems, mm-hmm. um, community problems. Yeah. And uh, America Tusa was telling me that that, that the Socialist Party in British Columbia came up with what's called um, the UN DRIP, the acronyms, and basically gives all the rights to the Aboriginal Indians. Wow. So therefore, nothing gets done. So he sold all of his companies that are public companies in, in British Columbia. In BC, yeah. In BC. Yeah. And so just, Justin Trudeau, the premier, is trying to have that implemented throughout the country. Oh, my goodness. So so I'm very bullish for those companies that have safe jurisdictions. Um, and so one of my favorite copper specs is Copper Mountain. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Copper Bank. Sorry, not Copper Bank. Copper Mountains in B.C. No. Copper so Bank? Copper Bank. So Copper Bank has two big deposits that are in Arizona. Uh-huh. And they own the land, so they have freehold rights. They don't have where the mineral rights are owned by a, by a socialist government that is going to prevent you from developing it. Mm-hmm. And they just need higher copper prices to justify it. So you can buy a stock for, I don't know, it's like a, close to a nickel. Yeah, I know but, the company. And it's worth 12 cents, but when copper goes back to where pre-Trump's battle with the Chinese for the trade war, then all of a sudden it's worth a dollar, this MPV. Mm-hmm. So where can I get that leverage? So I buy stocks like that that I don't have to worry about the time value, like buying futures or options. Right. They expire. Mm-hmm. This copper is not going to melt away in the ground, mm-hmm. and and copper will have a cycle. 
And just this past week, I've become extremely bullish. So I wrote a piece on the weekend about one of my favorite forward-looking uh, indicators. It's called PMI, Purchasing Manufacturers Index. Yes. It's a leading indicator. In America, they call it ISM. Yes. And guess what? We've got a rebound. And it's up now four months in a row in the U.S., the one month above the three months. Uh, Germany's turned from its bottom. All that funny money printing at pr- the press in Europe is all of a sudden got a hold. And uh, we've got PMIs rising. A year ago, they were falling. A year ago, the stock market was falling. Now they're turning up. And China's turning up. So what are data points that I've written is that whenever the one month's above the three months, uh, six months out, copper, uh, iron ores, uh, silver, gold, they're all up. Mm-hmm. And if they stay for three months in a row, one month above three months, then it's an 85% probability the commodities are going to be higher. Uh-huh. So I, I, mean pretty, you know, I remain very constructively bullish on the commodities. Now, Jay, you're going to have to be, you and I are going to be so much more selective uh-huh. on the stocks uh-huh. we pick. Right. Right. Uh, well, well, I would, uh, I would think that this bodes well then for your global resource fund, Frank. Possibly. And and by the way, Michael Oliver, who we have on our show every other week, is very bullish too, very constructive on the commodities, the whole commodity complex essentially, softs as well as, as well as the metals. Um, so I would think that that might be one that people want to sort of keep an eye on then. Your global resource fund. Those are more senior companies, primarily in that in that fund, Frank. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. I, I have and, uh, to ask you uh, about, I noticed that you have a fund. I wasn't aware that you had until I started preparing for our discussion today. You have a short, you're shorting U.S. Treasuries, I believe. Does that go along with this notion that we're going to have some commodity inflation or, or what? I I'm, I'm, was a little bit surprised. Are you, bull, are you bearish? I mean, are you bearish on, on, uh, on bonds then, on Treasuries? Um, yeah, I'm not. I'd, I'd rather buy uh, tax-free munis. But I think that's a yeah. much better, mm-hmm. much better play. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, I'm, I'm quite bearish on on uh, on government agency bonds, etc. I mean, where there's all the talk about going negative yields in the U.S. Is that going to happen? Yeah, it's happening with some some series now. You take a look where the CPI number is, the five and three year, two, the two year. Most of foreign currency markets move off of two year relative yields. And this is a negative yield today. Well, yeah, it's negative. So, but what about in um, uh, in nominal terms, not just real terms? Do you see negative real? I mean, negative nominal yields in the U.S. for Treasuries, as in uh, Europe? No, I don't. I don't see that at this stage. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you something interesting, Jay. Uh, is is the is Powell took the leadership of taking unwinding QE three mm-hmm. one two and three. Yeah. And what what happened with the it caused a global slowdown. There's a shortage of U.S. dollars. Yes. And and so in the past month, they 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 basically done repos of four hundred billion dollars. Yes. That's greater than the dollar value of all mining stocks in the world. So you just think of all the capital expenditures, all the work that's done, and the government can print the press in a month, which which has taken you know years uh, to, to build these these great mines all over the world. So I I think that. Uh, we have to recognize that the the global economies that the G20 finance ministers are functioning like OPEC. It's a cartel. Mm-hmm. Pre 2008, they were all about global trade and economic prosperity. Today, it's about synchronized tax and regulation. Yeah, um, and it's all about dr- using monetary policy to drive economic growth. 
And so what you saw from when Obama came into power uh, up to uh, four years ago was this huge rise in regulatory burden, like mm -hmm. costs, like right. a tremendous increase. And they got away with it because they kept printing money to, mm -hmm. to facilitate Mm -hmm. um, and, and basically clogging the hearts up, uh, the arteries, with mm -hmm. all these regs. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, uh, power stores taking money out, they never streamlined the regulations. Mm -hmm. That's where all of a sudden you saw this impact of slowing down uh -huh. the world. Yeah. And, and so there's still no commitment out of Europe to streamline regulations. And, you know, I got involved with the high blockchain, and, and I tell you, mining in, in, in Europe, it's just such a, uh, a fiasco. If you think royalty companies do well, you should see what these governments charge. They they basically take 24% of your of your income. Yeah. And, and then you say, please, sir, Mr. IRS, can you give me my money back? Yeah. And they think about it. That's, That's why it's bizarre. And in Switzerland, oh, it's okay. Uh, we'll just take 8%. Imagine... <laughs> A royalty company make if they were able to charge eight percent of well, your revenue from well, production, it'd be unprecedented. Ridiculous. And, and and so they won't streamline those regulations, and they're using uh, cheap monetary money to do it. So what's happening with that? There's two things: is that pre, that funny money that's coming out? The smarter guys like the Swiss, they're buying public companies. Mm -hmm. They own fifteen percent of their own stocks, and they're biggest shareholders of Apple. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Japanese, they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're the biggest owners of their own stocks. But you're seeing Hungary, Ecuador too, I could give you Latin American countries, uh, uh, Poland, uh, Czech, they're all buying gold. Yes, they and are. It, it's and very so interesting. it's both depth and breadth that they're buying gold as an asset class. So I think we're in a secular bull market in gold. We've mm -hmm. had this first you know, great rally and we have a sell-off, mm -hmm. but I think it just makes it you know, better for, for buying. I don't think it's over. I don't think there's any. What you have to have to change my tune would be a big fiscal discipline of dropping taxes and streamlining regulations. But there's no moral commitment because most of those Europeans are socialists in their policies. Mm -hmm. Biggest danger we have in America mm -hmm. is don't worry about some you know Mexicans coming across the border in Texas. Mm -hmm. You better worry about how fast the Beltway embraces new socialist idealism out of uh, Europe. Oh boy, they certainly seem to be, uh, certainly seems to be a, a hunger for it among a rising number of younger people especially, and it's uh, it's very frightening for those of us that have understood uh, that capitalism is a source of, of wealth creation and uh, socialism destroys it. Frank, um, just, to, just so you're so you're very bullish on gold as we head into 2020, will we see higher prices at the end of next year than this year for gold? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the DNA of volatility for bullion, it's a non-event to go plus or minus 20% any one year. Uh, it's just a non-event. And the gold stocks can go with that plus or minus 40%. It's usually two to one. Um, and so we staged a great rally. We've come off from it, but we're still up substantially over the past year. So if you look at the one year for bullion, the three year, and you look at the uh, uh, the past uh, 10 year in the price of gold, it's done exceptionally well. And the, it was, in, and the peak was in 11, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they, it, that was uh, uh, because because these government bonds went to my, in the U.S. 300 basis points, mm -hmm. negative, then they went plus 2%. So that's, that, it's important for investors to follow real rates of return because we're noticing that the, you look at the weight of all the debt around the world, $17 trillion is now back to 
uh, $14 trillion is negative, gold is corrected. So as soon as it starts to go back up to $20 trillion, then all this, their negative yields, then gold turns around and runs to 1900 again. Yeah. That could happen next year, possibly? Yeah. Um, and then what about the equity market in general, Frank? I mean, if they keep pumping money in the system, uh, is there any way that equities will finally peak and head south? Yeah, but I think you have a big difference. You have a president that's unprecedented, that looks in the mirror every morning, checks his hair, and then says, <laughs> what's, the, what's the S&P doing? <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the case. And uh, I, I guess and he, knows, and he knows that the S&P is forward-looking like um, P, uh, PMI is. Mm-hmm. It's a forward-looking. PMI is looking at commodity demand, whereas the uh, stock market is looking at uh, – uh, earnings, and so if the stock market is is up, that means the economy is going to be doing in six months from now. The GDP is going to be rising, yeah. and so, and if he wants to get reelected, he has to have rising GDP. Well, he has uh, to have it. He has to have it for the next twelve months, pretty much. So uh, correct. And uh, so you're in a presidential election year. Um, the um, uh, PMIs have just bottomed here, so it's six months out. I don't think. Uh, uh, we're going to have where rates are going to be rising right away. I think we've got a nice, slow, gradual global growth again. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it at that, Frank. We're, we're basically out of time. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Very valuable insights. And again, my listeners, uh, please, usfunds.com. Go there too. Frank puts out a lot of information. Frank, you and your, your team there uh, provide a lot of very valuable data. And uh, I want to thank you for sharing a few of your th- very valuable thoughts with us today. And uh, look forward, we should probably have you on more often if, uh, if you're available. So thank you so much, Frank. Well, thank you for the opportunity of sharing my my global travels with people. Absolutely. Uh, and quite a few years now of valuable uh, experience in the markets too, Frank. So thank you very much for that. Gold, gold. gold. It's G-O-A-U, right, is the symbol? G-O-A-U. Yeah, it's a wonderful gold share ETF. Thank you very much, Frank. All right, folks, well, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, uh, I'm going to be talking, hopefully, to Alistair McLeod. Uh, he's going to be here to talk about an inflationary depression he sees. Might be in line with what Frank just told us, perhaps. Michael Oliver is back as well, and Nav Dollywall of Gatling Resources will be my guests next week. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. TriStar Gold is a gold exploration and development company listed on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TSG and on the OTCQB under the symbol TSGZF. The large and growing gold resource at Castelo de Sanos Project is located in mining-friendly Pata State, Brazil. A recent $8 million investment from major mining company Royal Gold will advance the CDS project towards a feasibility study in 2020. TriStar Gold enjoys strong institutional shareholder support from groups like Gold2000, RBC, Sun Valley, and U.S. Global. 